Welcome to episode 59 of Flying Podcast. Today I'm up in Cumbria, and for once the weather gods aren't looking too kindly on me because uh, it's pretty miserable outside. It's been a while since I talked to anyone about gyrocopters, so that's why I'm up in the frozen north visiting Andrew Lyser of Cumbria Gyroplanes. Andrew has been based at Carlisle Airport for only a few months, but um, already he's carving himself out a nice, uh, nice little business. Although the weather is probably uh, his greatest enemy, being uh, near the English Lake District, the lakes also offer him one of the most beautiful playgrounds for him and his uh, gyrocopters. So let's hear from Andrew. All right, Andrew, what um, would you say the most recent developments in the gyroplane world are in terms of aircraft? In the UK, um, we have the Cavalon coming on stream. Yep. It'll be quite interesting this year in December at the Flying Show yep. to actually see it in its full glory. Yep. Um, we have flown it. It has been around the UK on tour, uh, but to this point it, it hasn't got a permit to fly. But it really is, uh, it really is a phenomenal machine. Um, and I would suggest it is the Porsche of gyroplanes. Yep. Roughly how much one of them cost, do you think? Um, it's going to be around the 100,000 mark. Wow which is an awful lot of money but you know it's typical german engineering it's going to have reclining seats heated seats lumbar supports uh, as well as all the avionics that you could possibly want in any aircraft uh, let alone a gyroplane so there is no doubt it is a, a you know a top end aircraft and that'd be side by side uh, side by side dual control it, it's all singing and dancing yeah it's a real going places machine of course, they've seen the Calidus has been around for a while. That's tandem covered. Yeah, uh, still going strong. Yep. Uh, still a lovely machine. And if you're wanting to go from A to B more quickly, um, aeroplane style, if you like, uh, then the Calidus, I've flown at V&E, 120 miles an hour, trimmed out and hands-free, and it is as smooth as silk. Yeah. Mm. And how's the, the M24, the Orion, doing? Uh, the Orion's doing well, um, a little bit slower, um, it's a lot more pedestrian in its uh, performance, uh, but then a lot of people want that, you know, especially if they come from fixed wing or they have no mm -hmm. uh, kind of motorcycle or uh, adventure sport background, yeah. uh, then there are people that would take to the side-by-side uh, -side, um, M24 that perhaps wouldn't want uh, the open tandem machine. Yeah, it's very helicopter-like, isn't it? Uh, very much so. It feels like a mini. It, it probably feels more like a mini helicopter than any of the other gyroplanes that are around. Yeah. Uh, on my travels, I've seen uh, the new Rotax injected engine. Is, is that going to make uh, an appearance in your market, do you think? Um, it should have made a, an appearance a long time ago. I can't believe that we've got traditional carburettors yeah. on an aircraft um, that's costing in excess of £50,000. Yeah. Uh, it seems staggering to me that we don't actually have fuel injection. However, having priced a fuel-injected version of our engine, I shan't be purchasing one. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not inexpensive. All right. Uh, we're here at uh, Carlisle Airport. Uh, give us a brief sort of history of how you managed to get here and what your experience to date is. Yeah, my training started at uh, Kirkbride just down the road um, and a fabulous uh, unlicensed airfield, mm -hmm. uh, great privileges and great fun. However, um, we did feel that we were lo our students were losing out a lot in that we had no air traffic, we had no uh, 
real traffic coming in on a day-to-day basis. And so whilst the training was every bit the same as it is now, we did feel we weren't doing so much the complete package. Mm-hmm. I do believe from Carlisle Airport that students will leave here and be able to fly anywhere in the world. And I think the confidence that that will give them uh, within the same price uh, package uh, will stand them up measurably and give them huge confidence. And I think that's the key nowadays. Their space is so busy, um, you can be lulled into a false sense of security training at unlicensed fields. Yeah. And how long have you been here? Uh, been here since July. Yeah. Yeah, and loving every, every minute of it. What's really your history? Superb. What's your history in flying? Uh, how did you get into gyros? Um, well, at my history in flying in the early 70s, uh, I was one of the first hang glider pilots in the country yeah. and uh, taught ad, ad hoc. Uh, we had no real schools at those, in those days. Nobody had any books. You flew, and when you landed in a heap, you worked out why you landed in a heap. Yeah. Um, and so it was very seat-of-the-pants flying. Um, I've tried other forms of aviation, uh, but being a Lake District boy, uh, what I wanted to do was to be able to fly in the Lake District in safety, but also to go places. Mm-hmm. So um, there is an incredible calm and serenity about uh, paragliding. But unfortunately, there aren't many days when you can actually leave the hill and go cross-country. So the gyroplane gave me the opportunity to fly around the lakes and around the north of England, particularly even into Scotland, and feel at home, completely at home, and know that that you have the safety of an aircraft, that if it did go wrong, you can land in a very short space. Yeah, that's one of the key things with these guys, isn't it? It makes them so safe, I guess, is the the distance. It is, it's the gliding. I mean, you have to be uh, aware of your situation. Um, We don't need to fly at 5,000 feet because we've got um, an excellent short field landing facility. However, uh, you only have a 4 to 1 glide angle. Mm -hmm. So it may be, for instance, that we're hovering over the top of Helvellyn, but we know quite easily that if anything went wrong, we could glide down and land easily on the shores of Ullswater or Thirlmere. Yeah. And that is very reassuring. Uh, this is very beautiful around here. I've seen some of the uh, the taster videos you've got on your website, and it's a uh, cracking place to fly, isn't it? Well, it's like a drug, really. Yeah. It's almost uh, it's a drug every time you go flying. I think in aviation, I think generally aviation aviators would say yeah. that it is a drug. But the Lake District is such a small area, but so... Uh, intensely different from every aspect you come into it from, Mm -hmm. from every direction, from every valley, from every hilltop. Although it is a small area uh, from the air, it is just phenomenally beautiful from every direction and you can't replicate that. How do you get on with like the fast jets that are knocking around? Oh we wave, we're on good good terms. (laughs) The thing about the fast jets is, you know, we have to recognise safety is paramount. And and we do. There are two things really. One is, I know when I first bought the first gyroplane for our school, um, we didn't think a transponder was required. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having had a tornado fly under me about a hundred foot below and waved as he went past, uh, that when I got home that day, my lady said, will you please buy a transponder? And I've had one in my aircraft ever since. Yeah. And we also carry PCAS so that we can see where other aircraft are when they're transponding. So gyroplanes aren't toys anymore. They're fully equipped aircraft. And in terms of flight safety, we've got the 
uh, PCAS and transponder, but also in the lakes, you know, um, the fast jets have a particular flight path that they have, have to stick to or they'll run into the hill. Yeah. So as long as we stay clear of that flight path and we know where the flight path is, then we, we fly equally as safely. Where else do you fly to? On some of the videos I've seen you sort of flying mm. over coastal areas and like estuaries, where's that? Um, well, we're, I mean, we may be very close to the Lake District, but we're equally as close to the Solway Coast. Yeah. And uh, the Solway Coast has a fabulous uh, tidal system in that it can go out for two miles. Yeah. Um, so we're not breaking the 500 foot rule, mm -hmm. but we do fly quite low to the sand and uh, quite close to water and have a fabulous time yeah. and it's it's not unusual for us to do that and the gyroplane of course perfect aircraft to do it with yeah how would you get on if you had a bird strike on your main rotor is that terminal or not necessarily um it, well it isn't terminal i only know of one bird strike ever um and it was a seagull that came off it's a bit like a card and hedgehog fight and the hedgehog comes off worse <laughs> and uh, I've only ever seen one strike there was no damage to the blade at all and it struck the blade halfway down um, but we had one and a half seagulls so it is extremely safe <laughs> good <laughs> or three halves of a seagull <laughs> and what aircraft do you fly here at the school um, predominantly M the MT Sport mm -hmm. uh, even if people want to choose to buy a closed cockpit aircraft, and we're quite happy to train them on those, uh, we're licensed to train on all two-seater aircraft, um, even if they do prefer a two-seater closed cockpit, I will always train them on the open machine first, even if it's just for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. Even very experienced pilots, it does help them become aware of the yaw situation, particularly, yeah. um, especially coming into land. We don't have... Uh, because we don't have air lawns, so on, we have um, issues with crosswind landings, which is why you'll often find a gyroplane uh, will take no notice of the centre line of a runway and quite likely land across the runway. Mm -hmm. A, because it can, because it's short landing roll, and B, because we can reduce that crosswind component. So, yeah, we, uh, we don't have an issue. But they, they are mm. quite capable of coping with quite a strong crosswind, aren't they? Oh, very much so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but it really depends on the on the type of aircraft and uh, as to how it affects it. Right. If you've got a broad side by side cockpit, uh, the drag and the influence of wind on that cockpit uh, when you're coming into land because we land quite slowly, um, it can affect it quite a lot. So very often it's easier to land across the runway than run, land with the white line. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I know they, they are quite capable of coping with relatively bad weather in terms of flight on the turbulence so I presume around here you can fly for many more days in a year than you could say let's say with a microlight. Um, I always call it the window of opportunity yeah. um, if you look at uh, hang gliders and paragliders within seven days you might be able to fly it for a day mm -hmm. uh, if you've got a flex wing microlight you might be able to fly that for two days a fixed wing microlight maybe three and a half fixed wing five and the gyroplane will be out flying seven days a week. Yeah. It's the fact that the rotors are not powered that makes the big difference. Yeah. So that within its own system, it can speed up and slow down, the blades can twist, and the blades can teeter. So therefore, they really do chew up all the gusts. Yeah. 
And this is what makes us so stable in the lakes, for instance, and uh, up in the highlands of Scotland, because we're not affected so much by rotor curl, we're not affected by um, downdraft so much. Yep. Um, and as long as we keep a safe altitude, we're fine. And you do some aerial photography, don't you, from your aircraft? Oh, mad. I'm mad keen. Yeah. There aren't many days I fly without taking my camera. I just love being able to share with other people yeah. the views that I get. Oh, you'd be crazy not to, wouldn't yeah. you, out here, especially uh, even in winter. I mean, the pictures you've got over the fells with the snow oh. are just superb, aren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, it's you wrap up, you wrap up accordingly. Maybe an hour and a half, two hours is long enough, but we cheat. We use heated clothing, yeah. uh, gerbing heated clothing, not to name drop, but it is the best, and it, it works fantastically. Yeah. Um, I had one occasion last year when it was minus eight over the top of uh, Helvellyn, and I was doing a 360 uh, video because I could see uh, Snowdon, I could see Scotland, Ireland, the Isle of Man, I could see Blackpool Tower and I could see England as well. But I had to take my glove off to use the video <laughs> and after two minutes I, it took me all the way from Helvellyn back to Kirkbride at the time uh, to actually thaw my hands out. <laughs> but, uh, but overall fantastic medium yeah. and, and we can also, we can't stall. That's a huge asset for photography. Mm -hmm. It means that we can slow the plane down so much. Uh, we're not shooting through perspex, so that's a big, uh, big advantage. And we can slow down and, and really let the camera do the work for you. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't hover, but you can slow right down. And we can power hover. Yeah. yeah, we can hover. We tend to call it a power hover. Yeah. Um, depending on the strength of the wind, depends on how much power we need to apply. But yeah, very often I'll trim and... and just tuck the stick between my legs while I'm using the camera. Mm -hmm. And it's, as long as you've got plenty of height and you trim properly and you recognise your speeds. Yeah, brilliant. Mm. Just refresh our memories um, as to how safe your modern gyrocopter is. Well, there's an argument that suggests it's the same as for, safest form of aviation. Yeah. Short landing roll, uh, ability to deal with all weathers, the uh, ability that is that it cannot stall. Um, the accidents that we have are all pilot error. Yeah. And that's not dissimilar to any other aircraft. Uh, but compared to a helicopter, of course, uh, we are in auto rotative force 24 7. Yeah. So every time we land, we're actually practicing uh, a forced landing. A helicopter, for instance, has to convert himself into a gyroplane, get himself into auto-rotation very quickly, mm -hmm. otherwise it's uh, nearly impossible for them to land if they have an engine issue. Yeah. So from that point of view, uh, we deem ourselves extremely fortunate. And the issues with the older homemade gyrocopters were? The old flying bedsteads? Yes. Yeah, you wouldn't get me in one of those for anything. Pilot-induced oscillations? Pilot, yeah, caused by too short a tail, no lateral stability within the tail section, tail too close to the prop, um, a nightmare. Mm -hmm. How there's anybody alive these days is, <laughs> is quite a miracle, really. Yeah. Uh, you have to be one hell of a pilot to fly a single-seat aircraft. They're now recognising... Um, something I've, I've actually said for quite a while is you can't have a big enough tail on a gyroplane. And I think that's proven to be the case. I helped, I helped design one in uh, Spain a couple of years ago that's now in South Africa, um, which is carbon composite, 
fabulous aircraft, damn near vertical takeoff and landing. It is an absolute treat. Masses of room inside. It's as big as a 22, an R22. And the first thing they came up with was the tail. And the argument there, and of course the Spanish invented gyro planes, mm -hmm. uh, their argument is you cannot have a big enough tail. So some of the early single-seat ones, whilst they're still doing single-seat ones, they actually are now producing them with a much bigger tail yeah. and with lateral stability yeah. as well. So the pitch oscillations are now not an issue and the uh, rolling yaw has been contained. So yeah. much, much improved. Okay. Uh, are most of the pilots that come through your doors now, as I remember in the past asking uh, at Ruffeth, mostly converting PPLs? Probably 50-50. Yeah. Yeah, you get, you get people come in from helicopters, professional helicopter pilots, who want to put some fun back in the flying. Yeah. Uh, you get people that are commercial pilots. I've got uh, two commercial pilots at the moment who want to fly for fun because, of course, you know, with commercial airlines now, you take off to 100 feet and press a button. And yes. then you yeah. press the button off again when you get down to 100 feet to land it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the time in between, they're not doing a great lot. So to get the fun back into flying, which is what gyroplanes are all about, yes, we are getting that element coming through, but we're also getting people who are sport motorcyclists or adventure sport people coming through as well, who want to have a taste of aviation, but want to feel as if they're more three-dimensionally in the scenery as opposed to being parked at five or 8,000 8, feet and just looking down at the road map. Yeah. So we're getting them from both sides, but we do get a lot of converting pilots, mostly in the comments they want, the saying is, we want to deregulate and get the fun back into flying. Yeah, that's where you can get it, in and the that's, helicopters, yeah. That's it. Right, uh, what is required to get a PPLG? I'm thinking here of the differences between ab initio training and let's say someone like myself coming from a PPL background or a helicopter pilot? Okay, so the rule of thumb is for an ab initio, 40 hours, 20 hours dual, 20 hours solo. Depending on your own ability, I have to be honest, some people can do it in less than 20 hours dual, some people take a lot more. But we train at your pace, so whatever it takes to get you solo, that's what we do. Yep. It may be that when once you're into solo your solo hours tend not to change because you've got to that level so if there is a difference between an ab initio it is simply in getting them up to solo mm -hmm. uh, for a converting pilot the rule is 15 hours dual and 15 hours solo if the converting pilot is very competent we have to do 15 hours dual whatever so if in nine hours they've bossed it they can start to go solo but during that time, we will spend the remaining hours up to 15 teaching them advanced skills. It'll be within the limitations, and it'll, but it may be beyond the syllabus. Yep. But at least it means that their hours are not wasted, which is an important thing. Okay. And as a converting helicopter pilot, um, it's 10 hours dual and 10 hours solo. Right. And as I remember, the exams are the same, except there's one specific a technical exam for... Yeah, if you're a converting pilot, the only uh, ground school you need to do is the uh, gyroplane technical, aerodynamics. Um, I tend not to do that until they've flown a few hours, 
because I think part of it, like any discipline, is jargon speak. And if you've flown a few hours, you'll understand half the questions better yep. by listening to what we're saying in flight. So let's say you've, you've got your PPL and you want to go flying, can you rent a gyroplane from a club? Not at the moment. Uh, the BRA, the Rotorcraft Association and the CAA and the manufacturers have been talking for quite a while now yeah. um, so that we can use them for hire or reward. But at this moment in time, uh, you can only have a share in an aircraft if you have a licence and own the aircraft, you can only, uh, and you cannot hire an aircraft. Yeah, which is a major So it means, it, yeah, it means unless you buy, you can't fly. Yeah. Yeah. But you can buy into a share provided you have a license. So you you just can't, license. you need a license to buy into a share. You cannot train on a shared owned aircraft. Which is unique to gyros again, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Have you come across these latest EASA rules as being a, a GA pilot myself? Does this seem mm. very complex? Does that affect the gyrocopter world? Uh, we have not been included in the EASA rules. Thank God we, for that. we are still CAA. Um, in a lot of ways, this would answer a lot of your questions that we've just covered because I think it, within EASA, I think we would have more freedom uh, and not be so restricted in terms of hire and reward and so on. Yeah. And I think that would make a big difference. But we've, I've seen a lot of the paperwork that the uh, GA mm -hmm. guys are having to complete and yeah. it looks quite onerous. Yes. Um, but then a lot, of it, a lot of these things we're already doing. When I look at through some of the detail that they're being asked for, yeah. you know, we're already doing it. So I don't know that we'll be far off the mark anyway. Yeah, okay. And the, the future of gyrocopters, what's coming? You've mentioned some of the things that have just arrived. What, what do you think the, the future holds? Um, I think until we get uh, a commercial application license, I think it's very much going to be restricted to boys' toys. I think we would get a huge influx in students once they had something to do with the license, once they've got it. It's a funny thing with aviation, you know, you put all these hours in to learn to fly and then you find you look if you do 100 hours a year oh, yeah, yeah. because of social commitments. But I think a lot more people would come into it if, for instance, you could go down power lines and do power checks mm -hmm. at the fraction of the cost of a helicopter. Yeah. If you could use them for air sea rescue, for observation. Um, not the rescue, we could yes. only observe, but certainly we could, uh, we could help. Um, and civil I, air patrol. Civil air patrol, yeah. police. Um, I think there are lots of applications. The army, when you think of the money that they fork out, we've just watched three Chinooks come in. Yeah. God knows what that cost. But you know, we could do a lot of the work for a fraction of the cost. Mm -hmm. We could carry thermal imaging cameras. We could carry all sorts of equipment. So I think we could do a lot, uh, a lot more. But unless we get a commercial application license, then it isn't going to help the industry. Yeah. I think that's the direction we could go in. I still believe we need a basic entry-level gyroplane as well. It's all right having gyroplanes at 55,000, 80,000 at 100,000, and going out with your Rolls-Royce, that's all very well. But we're missing out, I believe, on converting flex wing and fixed wing microlight pilots who would love to join mm -hmm. gyroplanes, but can't get into it because of the, it's cost prohibitive. Yeah. But maybe the share, being able to share own 
and maybe in the future getting a commercial application for things like aerial photography and so on. I think that would make a massive difference. But you were saying mm. uh, an autogyro you bought, what was it, three, four years ago? Uh, the first one I bought for our school at Kirk Bride was 32,000 five years ago. Yeah, and now that's 55? My aircraft, the equivalent now, is just short of 60,000. So it's a massive difference. Yes. And I have to say, that isn't inflation. <laughs> in terms of technology, mm. the future, there's some interesting things going on, like the, the cartercopter in the States. Yeah. I mean, Is there a future in that sort of transportation? I think certainly in a big country like Australia, America, Africa, <clears throat> where you've got continents of incredibly unrestricted airspace, I see a huge potential for being able to pull up like a car at a filling station, refuel, go out on the road and take off again and then drive it down the mall to your house front door. I think that's fabulous. Yeah. I just can't get my head around seeing the CA allowing that to happen in the UK. <laughs> I just can't see you pulling up at Tesco, getting your groceries. <laughs> I just, sorry, I just don't see that. Yeah. But certainly in, in continents, uh, like I say, places like Africa and Australia, absolutely fantastic. Have you seen that thing, is it in Holland, the PAL-V? Yeah. Like it has a folding yeah. prop. It just, it's just scary. Yeah. I mean, the technology, when you, when you think that gyroplanes were invented by a Spaniard in, in 1923, uh, if it hadn't have been for the war, uh, and the army demanding vertical takeoff and landing, hence the invention of the helicopter, yeah. we would be miles ahead now of where we are. Yeah. It would be to s be seen to be a standard form of aviation by mm -hmm. now. Yeah. But it got all, put, all got put on the back burner because of the war. I think that's a shame because I think we're now catching up in leaps and bounds mm -hmm. and getting to where we should have been years ago. And the development now, of course, in lightweight materials, um, making a massive difference. So all your aircraft yeah. like carbon fibre, are they? Um, no, our, um, the rotorsports, you can get carbon fibre tails, but mm -hmm. they're actually um, all uh, composite fibreglass. One we developed in Spain, that's uh, carbon fibre. That's incredible. Weighs nothing. Yeah. Mm. I'll have to come back and have a flight when the weather's nice. Well, it'd be rude not to. <laughs> Today's not the day. Right, what's your well, contact details then? Give us your contact details, Andrew. Uh, we, are, we are Cumbria Gyroplanes at Carlisle Airport. Um, we've been flying for five and a half years, over 2,000 hours in gyroplanes now, and uh, just can't get enough of it. Eat, sleep and drink it. Fabulous. Yep. Mm. So if anybody wants to contact us, they can... Uh, Email me at andrewlyser at gmail.com or they can telephone me on uh, 0771 Okay, I'll put those links on the website. Mm. Thank you very much. Andrew Lyser of Cumbria Gyroplanes. I'm always fascinated by the differences in legislation that cover each area of aviation in the UK. I can only hope that the CAA amend the rules to allow folks like Andrew to rent out their aircraft. It would be great for business, especially in such a picturesque area. It's great to watch what I'll call a new branch of aviation expand so quickly. I'd love to have another go in a gyroplane, and as soon as the weather improves, I'll be back up to see Andrew.
There are obstacles in the way of market expansion, but as more and more people get their PPLGs, hopefully prices will come down, everyone will benefit, and an exciting form of flight can thrive. If you do feel the need to get airborne in a gyrocopter, then you should get yourself up to Carlisle and uh, let Andrew take you for a spin around the fells of Cumbria. What better way to spend an afternoon? As Christmas approaches, please have a look at the Amazon links on the Flying Podcast website. Uh, The website can be found at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Don't forget to drop me an email if you'd like to suggest a subject for the podcast or even if you'd like to take part. The email address is steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Okay, that's it for another episode. Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you again soon.